Welcome to Oncology Data Advisor, an expert resource for the multidisciplinary cancer team. Today, I am joined by Dr. Ravi Parikh, an assistant professor in the Department of Medical Ethics and Health Policy and Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania, to talk about his research letter regarding lack of benefit from accelerated approvals in negative confirmatory trial data. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Parikh. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your interests? Sure. So I'm Ravi Parikh. I'm a medical oncologist and a health policy and clinical researcher at the University of Pennsylvania. A lot of my research focuses on applications of real-world data to understand oncology prescribing patterns, and particularly how we can encourage uh, high-value utilization of drugs and discourage low-value utilization of drugs in clinical practice. Incredible. And again, great to have you here. Um, and so we are here today to talk about your um, research regarding the lack of benefit of accelerated approvals from the FDA. Would you like to give us a brief overview of your research? Sure. So um, the FDA accelerated approval program, which began many years ago, uh, is intended to speed access to novel therapies that show promise in non-randomized, largely phase two trials um, and accelerate market access to those drugs prior to them undergoing standard of care confirmatory phase three testing in, in comparison to a standard of care. And so this program has been uh, a good thing. It's been associated with the entry of drugs into the market earlier. And usually um, those drugs are confirmed to have benefit in phase three testing. So it really is earlier access to drugs that can be beneficial to patients. And I've seen this in my own clinical practice. One of the issues that's come up with the accelerated approval program is that about a quarter of indications that are approved in the oncology setting are subsequently withdrawn, meaning that they don't show benefit in confirmatory phase three trials. And so this is um, in some ways a problem because it uh, exposes patients to drugs that may not be beneficial over standard of care and may in fact be either harmful uh, in comparison to a standard of care or pose adverse events and, and pose cost to the healthcare system. So trying to redesign the accelerated approval program so that it can still maintain its benefits of speeding access to effective drugs while um, figuring out ways to discourage access to ineffective drugs is a big policy interest of the FDA, of federal legislators, and to our research group. Incredible. Yeah, it's definitely such an important topic to bring up. So thank you for your research and your team's research. Um, next question I had was, uh, we're. I'm just wondering, what was the genesis of your study and why you felt it was important to bring awareness to the situation? Sure. So the um, one of the criticisms around drugs that are withdrawn um, after receiving accelerated approval is that you know those drugs have the potential to expose patients to um, you know those indications have the potential to expose patients to drugs that are uh, subsequently ineffective. Um, but we don't really have a good sense of how many patients, what percentage of patients um, are exposed to an ultimately ineffective or, or withdrawn um, accelerated approval drug. And so there have been some studies out there that try to estimate cost of accelerated approval drugs, try to estimate other aspects, but none have really been able to estimate the proportion of patients who are exposed. And that's because they don't have granular enough data to do so. So we partnered with a real world data company, Flatiron Health, 
to actually be able to identify patients who would qualify for those accelerated approval indications, uh, specifically who would have qualified due to line of therapy settings or due to certain biomarker status. And so we were able to estimate the proportion of patients who were exposed at a much more accurate level than previous studies had. And arguably, I think we've come out with the highest level data that shows what percentage of patients are truly um, exposed to a subsequently withdrawn drug. And what we found is that when we studied five indications of accelerated approval of drugs that were subsequently withdrawn in the oncology setting, that around a quarter of patients, 26% of those who were eligible for the indication were exposed to it during the time when the drug was in between when the drug was approved and when it was subsequently withdrawn. Furthermore, um, there is this sort of interval in between, you know, after accelerated approval where these withdrawn drugs ultimately uh, may get some negative confirmatory trials. And so before the publication of those negative confirmatory trials, that number of patients that were exposed was uh, almost a third, 33%, as opposed to 25%. So that period in between when um, the accelerated approval occurs and when the confirmatory phase three trial is, is reported is a very high leverage window because it's an evidence-free zone or it's a point where we're not having um, the, the uh, full formal phase three evidence. And it tends to be a time when a lot more patients are exposed to these ultimately ineffective drugs compared to a standard of care. And were there any limitations you experienced when conducting this research? Yeah, so uh, I would say that one, since we're looking at real world practice, there may be some reasons why patients got these drugs, um, uh, which were largely immunotherapies that had nothing to do with the accelerated approval indication. Maybe, for example, a patient had Lynch syndrome, or maybe, for example, they had other biomarker-based studies that qualified them to use the immunotherapy. So we weren't able to estimate that because, you know, um, sometimes our biomarker data was a little sparse for patients. So there may be some reasons why this 26% number may be a little bit of an overestimate, although we don't expect that it's a significant overestimate. Um, so that's one uh, potential limitation. The other limitation is that um, were you only using data within the Flatiron Health Network? Um, and so although that covers about 25% of all community oncology practices in the United States, uh, it is possible that um, these findings may not be generalizable to practices that are outside the Flatiron Health Network. Uh, and, and that's just something that I think um, will be an important limitation uh, for, for this use. Speaking on the patient's perspective, how do you explain the negative results of the patients and potential changes in their treatment regimens going forward? And do you change the treatment regimen? Yeah, so in my practice, when I get a patient who um, we had previously discussed using a drug that was approved in the accelerated approval program, and then there's been a subsequent indication change. What I normally will do, what I've done in that scenario is explain the rationale behind the indication change and what new data has come about that's changed our thinking for it. Uh, and then uh, we engage in shared decision-making with the patient to figure out whether they wanna use this drug that may not be better than standard of care. I think there's a couple of important caveats here. One is that, you know, when a patient has already started with a line of therapy for an accelerated approval drug that's subsequently withdrawn, it's rare that I will take them off that drug because usually I want to figure out whether these drugs 
are having any response in this particular patient. And that gets to a broader point that you know, even if these drugs fail, quote unquote, confirmatory phase three testing, that doesn't mean that these accelerated approval drugs are um, ineffective. They still may be effective for a certain proportion of individuals. It's just that when you run your phase three trial of all comers with one drug versus all comers with another drug, there's no benefit that's found in that general comparison. But that doesn't mean that there aren't select patients for whom these accelerated approval drugs are, uh, you know, can be quite effective. And so I'll never interrupt a course of therapy, but um, for a patient who I was previously thinking, if I get new data um, that suggests that the accelerated approval drug doesn't work as well, then I will change, likely change my recommendation and go back to the standard of care or go back to another uh, drug that has shown benefit in the, in the phase three setting. So, you know, that is normally how, you know, I'll practice. Um, I think the other thing to sort of realize too is that, um, you know, just because the drug phase, uh, you know, fails confirmatory phase three testing, what it usually means to me is that there's been some evidence of benefit shown in phase two that's not borne out in phase three, but we need to be doing a better job and identifying better biomarkers to be identifying the patients who may benefit from these accelerated approval drugs in the future, rather than just, you know, um, sort of uh, entirely cast, uh, casting that drug aside. Right. And kind of going off of what you um, were talking about for from the clini clinician's perspective, um, do you and your team have any potential strategies for minimizing exposure to accelerator approval therapies with lack of benefit and negative confirmatory trial data? Yeah, so I think that you know really forces us to step into the role of the FDA and what they could they do because you know once a drug receives their approval, we're oftentimes obligated to sort of at least explain what the treatment options are, including that accelerated approval drug uh, as a clinician. So I think really the change ought to occur upstream at the FDA level primarily. And so what could the FDA uh, do? Well, they just recently passed uh, an act called uh, Fedora, FDORA that um, uh, tries to address some of these limitations of the accelerator approval program. Namely, they propose that um, drugs should be already undergoing confirmatory trial testing at the time of accelerated approval rather than waiting to start a confirmatory phase three trial. And so that could minimize the uh, amount of exposure to a drug that you know, may potentially be withdrawn later on uh, um, because uh, it speeds the conduct of the phase three trial. And it, it sort of is a contingency for having begun that trial before that drug received accelerated approval, which is really important. I think the second thing that the FDA could do is use harder endpoints in the phase two setting to justify accelerated approval. So right now, oftentimes we use surrogate endpoints based on phase two testing to grant accelerated approval. But um, using things like overall survival or, or other surrogate endpoints and comparing them to historical controls or even running a simultaneous historical control in the real world setting during phase two testing may be promising strategies to um, get a stronger sense of efficacy of these drugs um, prior to accelerated approval. Um, that's at least on the FDA side. On the clinical side, you know, I think that uh, we can do a better job with explaining to patients what the uh, what the data is actually showing, rather than just saying this drug is effective and may save your life. We might say that 
you know, this drug was approved um, based on an endpoint that is not overall survival. Maybe it was approved based on progression-free survival or response rate. And so uh, I don't know uh, uh, if that drug is actually going to improve your personal survival. Um, it improves some aspects that aren't survival, but it's tough to know whether it's going to improve your overall survival. However, uh, these are the reasons why I think it may be beneficial for you or why it might pose less side effects than the other types of therapy for you. And then we leave it to the patient to decide, um, you know, in light of all of that information, what they may want to do. Um, so I think we could do a better job of understanding the evidence so that we're presenting the evidence in favor of the drug correctly, rather than just saying it's going to, you know, everything, all of these drugs are going to save people's lives. Brilliant. Yeah. And you just started talking on what I was going to ask you next, but I'm going to ask you anyway, just in case it brings up any thought. Um, how do you feel clinicians could better recognize these um, lack of benefit trials and advocate for more thoroughly investigated approvals? Yeah, it's a great it's a great question. I would say that you know two things. First, you know clinicians could uh, recognize um, you know potential limitations on data, but just by looking at the endpoint that's cited in the phase two trial, that's justifying the accelerated approval and seeing whether that endpoint is really meaningful or not and whether it's in line with what you might think. Um, because just because a hazard ratio is a certain level or not, that doesn't necessarily mean that the drug is all that much more effective than a current standard of care. Um, I think that you know clinicians can also um, play a strong role and have a strong voice in talking to the FDA about how they ought to be changing some of their tactics. And so, you know, sending letters, um, participating in open panels, um, really making the voice heard that either you disagree with the surrogate endpoints or you think that the accelerated approval program has a lot of benefits. Um, either one of those sides is a totally legitimate argument. But, um, you know, I think we need physicians to be stronger advocates to uh, the regulators who actually can make change in these types of programs. Definitely. And final question I have for you is, out of all this research and everything, is there any plans for further research or are you planning on doing anything else regarding the issue in the upcoming future? Yeah, it's a great question. So I would say that there's three sort of lines of research that we're thinking about. So first, when it comes to uptake and effectiveness of drugs receiving accelerated approval, we're hoping to expand the list set to all oncology indications rather than just the five that we study to see if our findings are truly generalizable. The second thing that we're hoping to do is to get a sense of metrics outside of just clinical efficacy of these accelerated approval drugs, one of which that we've thought about are adverse events. A very high proportion of immunotherapies are approved by accelerated approval, but accelerated approval doesn't usually based on adverse event adjudication. And so trying to get a sense of real-world adverse events associated with FDA accelerated approvals compared to current standards of care, I think is really important and coming up with better data streams so that we can actually collect adverse events in a more structured fashion is important. Um, maybe the, the, the last thing I'll say is that the FDA has just released a bunch of legislation pertinent to this area. And I think there's a really rich position to sort of have some sort of policy evaluation that anal uh, uh, analyze uh, or analysis to um, help enable uh, the FDA to see whether their programs are working or not in the short and in the intermediate term. And so pursuing some of that experimentation and planning for some of that 
you know, just given that the FDA has released recent legislation, I think it's really important for characterizing how effective that legislation is likely to be. Definitely. And that was all I had for you today. Um, so thank you so much. This is such a brilliant research, so important to talk about and discuss. So thank you so much, Dr. Parikh, for being here today and for your time. Great. Thanks very much. And, and thanks for thinking of me.